Hi. Hi. I was looking for my bell. Oh. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Welcome back to Leonardo DiPadrio. A <laughs> new side podcast where we only talk about Leonardo DiCaprio in a vague way, having not watched any of his movies recently. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I could get him Oh, good, the bell. Wonder if somebody in that no, no one in that was played by a wrestler, right? We're no. off topic. We're off topic. No. We're off topic. All right. Hello. Hello, <laughs> excellent Tina. <laughs> and other humans. And other humans. And maybe demons. Yeah. The occasional Murpus. And welcome to another episode of Hate Watch, Great Watch. I'm your host, Hunter Bush. Uh, with me as always. Allison Yukulis. And our guest today, seven times, seven times, seven times, seven times, seven times, woo, seven time guest, Tina Dillon. Thank you. I, it's going to be like 15 times guest, so you might as well get used to counting. I'm coming for that belt. I know you are. You're like, right now, it's seven and eight, like neck and neck. So what movie are we doing next week? Is it yeah. The Boy again? We're doing The Boy with <laughs> Tina this time. This is an all-boy podcast now. No, it's not. It's called Boys Town. Welcome to it. I have already sent Hunter an entire list of demands. <laughs> I mean requests. Demands. There was suggestions, I think, is the word you were looking for. But yes. Um, <laughs> and most of them were very good. I was like, ooh, yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah, oh, that too. Yeah, we yeah. can do all of these. Yeah. I mean, I love movies, so I'll talk about pretty much anything. But yeah. also, these are interesting ones and varied we'll get back on track yeah what yeah. film are we here to talk about today you know this is an exceptionally good day to talk about this film because right? it's so fucking it's windy. windy is all goddamn hell yeah, yeah that's what i said I was like, this is a perfect day i don't think our mics will but i really hope they pick up ambient wind noise the wind kills you in the happening or is it the plants or is it the trees or is it the government they're all working together <laughs> yeah you might find <laughs> out today friends well, you might not. So yeah, The Happening, 2008, 2008. Yeah. directed by M. Night Shyamalan. His first R-rated film. And yeah. that was what they fucking sold this movie on. Mm. I remember that I saw this movie in theaters. I paid money to see this movie with Brian Bierman, friend of the show and Tina's nemesis, Brian Bierman. Eight time, eight time. Eight time, 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 eight time. Woo, eight time guest. <laughs> <laughs> uh... We paid money to see this, and then we snuck into The Hulk. Wait, which one? Ed Norton. The Ed Norton yeah. Hulk? Ed Norton Hulk, yeah. Bad to work. Nope. <laughs> Better movie. Actually, you might be right. You don't have to like yeah. it, but things happen in that movie, and if you were to ask me what happens, like, after seeing it, I could have told you. If you were to ask me what had happened in The Happening, after seeing it, I could not have told you. And now, having seen it, like, twice, I could not tell you. I don't. Just curious, because I'm mad that I didn't do this, and I hope one of you did. Did anybody count how many times they said happened, happening, or happens? No, but IMDb because says it's, it's like over 25. Which seems, it seems light. Yeah, it, it's gotta be at yeah. least. And I, mean, I would have like, guessed uh, 10,000. Although this had like a tight like hour and a half runtime, yeah? Yeah, it's a really short runtime, and it's, like, there's not a ton of dialogue. But yeah, but so 25 would be, like, what, one every two minutes? Yeah. 
it might be an hour and a half, but it kills three hours of your time. <laughs> it uh, is yeah. the longest hour and a half I have ever lived. I remembered it as being an almost three hour movie. Right. And then I went to go put it on and it says like an hour 35 or something. And I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> and then I watched it and I went, no, that was right. It just feels like three hours. I didn't know there were bonuses. Oh yeah, there are bonus scenes, which we watched. Yep. The one that M. Night cut is the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, so in an alternate opening, Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg are having the fight that they make reference to in the movie, and it is not good. No, it it's is so it is awkward. It's awkwardly bad. written. It it's awkwardly bad. acted. Like, okay, I mean, I don't think anybody's really good in this movie, some people are trying harder than others, but I cannot figure out what Zoe Deschanel's deal is in this. Her performance is so weird and flat to me. Mm-hmm. I investigated this because I couldn't understand it myself. Because I, being the resident Mark Wahlberg expert, I had to investigate this. And there's two things here. Number one, Mark Wahlberg rejects this movie. <laughs> he admits that it's fucking terrible. Yeah. And M. Night... Shyamalan backs that and he agrees that it's terrible and he goes on to explain that his original intention for this movie was that he wanted it to feel like a B movie he was going for like a blob feel and totally missed the mark here's the thing with that is that it feels a lot to me like when what's his face from the room Tommy Wiseau Tommy Wiseau started throwing around the term black comedy to refer to that movie Right. I feel like it's backpedaling, kind of. Also, that's not what a black comedy is, but we're it's, not going to get into that. No, it's looking at what you made and having the like the actual awareness to see that what you actually ended up with is not what you set out to make. That's what Tommy right. Wiseau and, in this instance, M. Night Shyamalan both do. Because Tommy Wiseau, if you watch The Room, clearly thought he was making a capital M message, capital M movie, and that's why that's a legitimately great bad movie, because he was trying earnestly to make something that was capital S saying capital S something, mm -hmm. you know, he's really trying to make a film, a film. Yeah. You know, he a he, modern day Othello. He envisioned, you know, the the leaves, the, you know, <laughs> the Palme d'Or leaves, you know, ad adorning his poster, like multiple award winner from the Palme d'Or, The Room. And it's like, oh, no, 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 yeah. what you made was... Unappreciated genius right. in all of the... <laughs> no, 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 appreciated <laughs> well, genius. Okay. That's what he was going for. Well, no, but he I mean, like... He was like, this is going to be how everybody knows I'm a genius, and also the Lisa surrogate was wrong for dumping me. That's what he's doing. And that's, you know, what M. Night is kind of doing with this, is he's trying to make a movie that drives home, that turns out nature is important and we're the we're the problem you know now that we're all in in quarantine and have been and all that and all those memes about like nature is returning we're the virus that kind of thing the happening is that but in 2008 it's trying to point out that we're the problem and that if the earth decided to kill us all a we wouldn't be able to stop it and b it would be kind of deserve it yeah right well see i feel like when i read that that he was saying that he meant for it to be a B movie. That was his intention. I was like, no, I think you decided that after Mark Wahlberg was like, I made this trash movie and I shouldn't have. And Rotten Tomatoes was like 17%. That's when you decided it was a B movie. Um, the sad part of it, though, 
is I think actually, as silly as it sounds, the premise could be legitimately uh, scary. Oh, well, and and I mean, you have an unseen monster, you know? Like, that's something that, like, is very, like, that you could see a B-movie doing because it's cheap to not have a monster, you know? It's just that you would have to do a lot more, like, practical effects and gags than what they end up doing, which is the same fucking thing over and over again. Yeah, like, they mention in the movie... We'll, we'll get to it, really, but, like, just in brief. They mention the Red Tide as a corollary concept. Yeah. Like, oh, it's like the Red Tide. This happens, and then it's, you know, whatever. But they, they use it... They use mentioning the Red Tide as an example of, like, how it can happen suddenly and end just as suddenly... But the thing about the red tide is it's a thing that you can see and it's visual. Yeah. And this, it's not. And I feel like if they had, even if it was heavy handed, especially if you're intentional, I'm doing air quotes, intentionally making a B movie. Mm -hmm. If you were like, oh, look at that cloud of pollen or spores or something. And it was just like green smoke or yellow smoke or something like that they were manipulating with air cannons and whatever. That people, you could see wash over people and you could see the aftermath and it was something you could visibly avoid. But the concept that, especially later in the movie, that Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel and those two deadbeat kids and and that little girl, uh, they're all just running away from air while being in some air but not the bad air and there's a good air and a bad air. It's so ludicrous that you just like, your brain just turns off like an unplugged television. Yeah. I mean, also, I don't understand how, like, they came to the conclusion that it depended on the amount of people that were present, except at no point were they in a smaller group than anybody else was. Well, so- to, gi- to give the movie some credit, there might be, like, it might not actually be the narrative that Mark Wahlberg makes it out to be. Like, the whole movie is constantly presenting these possibilities, and Mark Wahlberg just goes on his educated guesses because he is a science teacher. And it is amazing. He clearly scientific douchebag. That's my favorite line. That's my favorite line. We've talked about this in previous episodes. That's one of my favorite lines of dialogue. Be scientific douchebag. Everybody be quiet. Just give me a second. Let me think about this. Okay. Everybody, please just give me a second. Okay. Be scientific douchebag. He hates it. I've been listening to a lot of blank check with Griffin and David. Shout out to a much more beloved podcast they did a whole they did you know m night Shyamalan, and their whole thing is that i think mark Wahlberg in this movie hates himself because everything about mark Wahlberg intrinsically on a biological evolutionary level makes him want to beat up nerds but now i'm playing the nerd bro and it's just you can see it in his, and i think they're right you can see it in his performance he doesn't like saying these nerd things it makes him uncomfortable <laughs> Why do I have to talk about bees for 25 minutes? What's up with the bees, everybody? Why aren't you concerned about the bees? When he went on to talk about how he thought the movie was shit, he was like, I mean, listen, at least I didn't play a crook or a cop. Yeah. Yeah. That was his, like, right yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, so that was, if I'm not mistaken, because I've heard this story a couple times, somebody asked him, uh, I think it was Amy Adams who was originally going to be the yes. Zoe Deschanel part, and they asked him, like, yeah, so Amy Adams she was supposed to play the Zoe Deschanel part. And he was like, yeah. And they're like, you know, but she, she backed out the last minute. He goes, and he basically said like, she dodged a bullet, bro. Like that movie. And I think he said specifically the happening. I don't know. Trees. What the hell? Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's just like, that's how it went. Here's the thing. But like, Mark, you said, yes. It's not even like, uh, you know, he needed to pay off like taxes or anything. 
happening. No, I think Mark Wahlberg financially has always been pretty solid. Yeah. I've never really heard about any kind of financial problems, you know, and like he's an entrepreneur, you know, Wahlburgers and shit and, and yeah. all that stuff. Like he's, I think he's doing pretty well. I think he's good at managing money. What'd you say? Car dealerships. Several of them. Yeah. Which oh. I didn't know about till Tina mentioned it to me. Huh. I would buy a car from Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. So yeah, bro. And get in it. Oh, check out this new Lincoln Continental. And if you know, I don't know, say like maybe the trees turn evil and they want to kill you. You can close the vents. I guess that would work. Who knows? Apparently nobody on this movie knows how air works. Yeah. There's so much weird shit where they're like, stay, oh. stay in the house. It's like the oldest house. It's definitely not airtight. Yeah. It's not airtight. Like no. it doesn't make any sense. It's not windproof. And he's like, he just shuts a door. Okay. I could see that being better than doing nothing. No. And if, um, if I could see that there was smoke that was blowing up against the front of the house. Yeah. And yeah. not getting in. Yeah. Then you go, okay, the, the movie is telling me that this is working. Sure. At very least, just give a sound that's different when the bad wind is coming. Can you? I know I'm putting you on the spot. What sound would you suggest well, for the bad wind? Here's the thing. Is it farts? They kind no, they kind of do it in uh the car in the jeep with uh Johnny Legs. Yeah, there's like the whistling. It's, it's the whistling through the the hole. If you had something like that for most of it, like that, at least is something different. Okay. You know. All right. Off the cuff pitch, you you know you do that. You add like a howling sort of like yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's got like a maybe it's got like a slide whistle sound, dude. Like who cares? No, no. It could I'm, be anything. I'm in the middle of a pitch now. Okay. So you do like a howling, like it's mixed in. It's not as loud as I'm doing it. You know, mm-hmm. it's in the background. It's affected a little bit. Yeah. But it's like. And it kind of sounds like maybe it's wind, like through through branches or something. You're like, oh, maybe that's, but it's creepy. And then you have a character show up and deliver exposition about banshees. Okay. And then that's just another thing you throw into this movie where it could be, who knows? Could not, be could be haunted wind. Could be haunted wind. <laughs> okay. Maybe it makes a sound like an old man trying to like take a breath. You know, it's like a <gasps> yeah, a gaspy. It's the sound that 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 ghoul makes that Hellboy digs up in the movie and he like throws it over his back and it's just, oh, yeah. it speaks German to him. Yeah. Mm. That sound. Oh yeah. German wind. Then we'd know it was bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dude, I think the wind's German. It's that evil German wind is coming for us. We're up here in Pennsylvania, Dutch country. <laughs> Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? I've been eyeing your lemon drink. <laughs> that fucking line is so funny. Why are you eyeing my lemon drink? That's, that's my second favorite line. And yeah. the third favorite line is, what? No. <laughs> you have to specify which time he said that, because half this movie is just when, Mark Wahlberg going, the, huh? Wait, uh, who what now? When the old woman asks him if he's going to steal something or kill her in her <laughs> sleep, and he goes, no. Oh my god. I have that in my notes. No, that is he... so bad and it makes you look shady as fuck. You can't be serious. It might be the most frightening line in the whole movie. Dude. Oh man. And like listeners, you know, we have a track record. We generally are in favor of Mark Wahlberg. Like as an entirety, as a podcast. Like we like him in most things. I, mean... I think he has a natural charisma that works. But he's so out of his depth in this movie. Yeah. Like, he can't deliver anything in a way that makes sense. That's the thing is, I know he can. He can say these things. He can be charming. Either A, it was a choice on his part not to have any charm at all because he's like, Elliot's a fucking nerd. Nerds ain't charming or else I wouldn't beat him up. <laughs> 
Or maybe M. Night is telling the truth and he was like, no, 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 act bad. You're doing it too good. Do it worser, but more badly. <laughs> no, 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 but more badly. Mark. Mark, but more badly. Maybe. Only because I feel like Mark Wahlberg usually gives at least a convincing performance, even if it's not, like, stellar. He has charisma, and in this he has no charisma. John Leguizamo is great. John Leguizamo is routinely great. John Leguizamo shows up and he's like, hey, sometimes it's good to be a math teacher, you know? People are very, very, they're soothed by statistics. Like, he's laying on his, like, specific John Leguizamo almost lisp really hard in this. Yeah. Like, harder than usual, yeah? Yes. Because, like, usually he's like, he kind of talks like this, like, out of the corner of his mouth. But in this, I swear to God, he's like, hey, I'm a math teacher, so I'm like a big nerd now. And I was like, what is happening? (laughs) Every line he delivers is bizarre and awful. Dude, like when every he, single one. When he tells Zoe Deschanel, don't take my daughter's hand unless you mean it. I was like, this is not the time. <laughs> like, make up your fucking mind, bro. You asked her to take your kid. No, but it's about, you know, it's about her commitment issues to his, I guess, best friend. Yeah. And here's yes, the thing, though. nothing to do with yeah. No, it doesn't. They, it really, and now is not the time for that. They definitely also make that a thing throughout the rest of the oh, movie. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. a lot of hand shots between her and the kid right. and, you her know, and Mark. her and Mark. Yeah, like, so everybody's holding fucking hands and there's all this shit with the mood ring. But it also, it seems like they haven't really had a fight before this. And, like, they had, like, a big fight. But also that, like, this one fight might be the end of their entire relationship. Which is, like... It, and, like, I think, the, you know, I think clearly they're not meant to be together at all. Yeah. Well, well they don't even give off a vibe of being a couple. No, well, that's the thing. Is like, he has no charisma little. at all. They have no rapport. No. No. And she's, and I know it's fashionable to shit on Zoe Deschanel because she's on The New Girl, I guess, is the reason. Like, people are like, uh, oh, and, and she was in She and Him. So, I, like, people got. I think it's that she's hot and awkward and that pisses people off. She's hot and awkward and popular. Yeah. Or she was when this was coming out. Yes. Like, yeah. I think people were just kind of over her. People, but, like, she has charisma, too. Sorry, Tina. Go yeah. ahead. People like to blame her for starting that whole, like, manic pixie dream girl thing. Yeah, yeah she invented um, it. She didn't invent it. It's always existed. She just happened to play many of those roles. But that has nothing to do with her. I actually think she's a pretty decent actress, not in this. No, yeah. no, not in this. This is a terrible barometer for, no pun intended, for anybody. They don't even seem to like each other. I can't even see no. them being friends. <laughs> no. And all of this, I feel like, is because she had Tarabasu with fucking Joey. Yeah, the most tenderness you get is when they're on the train and finding out, like, oh, it hit Philly. He's, like, kind of, like, kneeling in front of, like, where she's sitting and yeah. stuff and she's you know sort of petting him a little bit like that's as much tenderness as you yeah. really get no and i think the two of them i think but, she's supposed to have an arc because she says she's not comfortable expressing her feelings for everyone to see so i think her like petting him like a fucking dog on the train like you mentioned is like a big step for her and then her like visibly crying at the end is like a huge like supposed to be a huge revelatory breakthrough for her character like look she's unlocked her emotions but at the same time, it's like, she's not a character. Yeah. So all of that said, I think that these are all easy outs for M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Because if you create a relationship on the rocks, you do not have to actually put too much depth into that. You and you open with this relationships on the rocks. There doesn't need to be much backstory there. You don't need to build that romantic connection. It's not really a part of the story. And then to say things like, 
she doesn't like putting her emotions on display is a real easy out for him to not have to provide any emotional depth to that character. It all becomes just throwaways. It's just he can throw these lines in or throw in this little bit of storyline to keep you from asking any questions or wondering, like, why has this not progressed? Why why are their characters so shallow? Why is there no chemistry here? When in fact, that was the intention all along because that's not what he wanted to focus on. The problem is without those uh, connections to the character, the story falls flat no matter what you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm one of those big proponents of a story does not need a love story to be like a story. There doesn't need to no. be like a love interest for your main character for that to be a successful no, film. No, there doesn't need to be romantic love. Yeah, it's real American movie-making thought process. Everybody needs to have a romantic interest, in particular women, or this isn't going to go anywhere. Right, well, women and, won't watch a movie unless there's maybe a kiss. And, I mean, also that that's part of, like, the winning at the end. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, okay, yeah. you one of your favorite movies, Allison, I think it's one of your favorites, Pacific Rim. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it builds up a platonic... Like they love each other, they're teammates. They're you know, it's that it's that same sort of. Yeah, but, but at it's, the end it's, they hug. There's a there's right. a setup for a moment where they could kiss because he's not dead. Yay, yeah. you're alive. But yeah. they just hug, and it's, it's so much more effective. It's fraternal love. It's teammate yeah. love. It's yeah, yeah. you know, and, and like that's and that's probably one of the so things better. I like the most about that. I, there's yeah, there's a lot of stuff, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's and it's rare. I mentioned that movie because that's like one of the big standouts because not only does that have a moment built into it where you could see another movie making the kiss time mm -hmm. and they avoid that. But that leading up to that, they do have like the two of them building a relationship. Yeah. Like they don't like each other. Then they do, you know, they're, they're uh, reluctant partners. And then like, they start to care about each other and they start to work together. And that's what the whole fucking movie is about. And at yeah. the end they don't kiss, they hug and it's such a better ending. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yes. yes. Yeah, no, if they could have just done that with fucking Kylo Ren and Rey, I would have been a much happier oh my uh, camper. God. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. That, that whole last Star Wars movie is bad. Come at me, Internet. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, I think the best Star Wars movie is The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. And I think the second best Star Wars movie is a tie between Empire and Star Wars slash A New Hope, which will never be the fucking title. I don't care. Yeah. It's just called Star Wars. Ding, 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 ding. Thank you. Yes, I'm sorry. Hello. Ding, ding. I should have known what I was getting yeah. myself. It's a can of worms. Listen, I don't get to talk to people that I don't live with very often. Yeah. And I never get to do it about movies, really, because I work with a bunch of youngsters and they don't, haven't really seen a lot of stuff. And I'm an old man the and I don't want to be old manning them on the bus. Now. The dinner party they etiquette is don't talk about religion, politics, or Star Wars. Or Star Wars. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Every yeah. party with me is a dinner party. It's pronounced Donner. <laughs> Donner party. <laughs> Not the party I was expecting. It's my old Donner party joke. Not the party I was expecting. What's your new one? Uh, same one. <laughs> same joke. Oh, man. Making that's, drinks over here. It's a lot of vodka. Why did I let you bartend? I don't know. <laughs> you not only let me, you demanded. Yeah, I know. That was maybe. You were like, "Hurry up and make some drinks," and I was like, yeah. "All right." So we should, I should, we should walk through the plot of this movie as it is briefly. So it starts with an event happening in New York City. What happens is the wind blows and it makes people kill themselves. Yeah. There's other ticks I kind of like. It affects their short-term memory. The one girl's reading a book and she's like, I can't remember where I am. And like for some reason her friend knows exactly where she is in the book and whatever. 
And right. she's like, oh, you're at the part when this happens. But anyway, and well, and then and they, but they repeat and it's repeated speech. Repeated speech. It's almost and like they, the Doctor Who, like, hey, who turned out the lights? Yeah, yeah. We're, they walk backwards occasionally. Like, it's, there's no like set set of actions that like everyone follows but like there's some random vague indicators and i like Symptoms. that yeah yeah i like that that it's not like oh there's a b and c before we get to this it's like oh it's this or this or it could be this so like they kind of use that a few times in the movie mm-hmm. loosely to play with like oh maybe they maybe they've got it maybe they're like for lack of a better term infected you know yeah okay so happens in new york and then we cut to a philadelphia school which Dude. Well, do you want to talk about it now or do you want to talk about it when we talk about it? I okay, all right, fine. I can I can wait. Well, it's your school. Yeah, we see Mark Wahlberg teaching his science class and stuff. And I'm How like How come everybody doesn't care about the bees? Yeah, and I'm looking around the room like, "Man, I'm like this looks a lot like my high school because it is. I found like the shooting oh. locations and it is." And then Do you want to you want to shout out your school? Yeah, JR Masterman High School. Yep, right across the street from where I went to college. Yeah, yeah. Um, sup, nerds. <laughs> we didn't know each other then. No. Although there's a chance that I bought ice cream from her when she used to work at the ice cream place there. Yeah, I worked at uh, Petrucci's on Spring Garden Street. Definitely bought yeah. ice cream while at college. Yeah. So um, Mark Wahlberg is teaching a class on the bees. Yeah. Bees man. are dying, and the news comes down that like a they're referring to it as a terrorist attack has happened in New York. And they're afraid that, you know, something could happen here. So they're sending everyone home. Okay. They're afraid that because Philadelphia is a big city, that it might be a target. If New York was also a target, it's the same thing that happened on 9-11. This is obviously trading on 9-11 imagery. It's seven years later. Which also, yeah, I was at that school when 9-11 happened in my math class. And we had to turn on the TVs. Yeah. And stuff. So, Um, yeah, really weird. 9-11? 9-11? Yeah, it was weird. Well, no, no, no. Just... <laughs> Pretty weird. I think everyone would agree with me there. John Leguizamo has, like, a line where he's like, oh, yeah, I called, like, my mom or something like that, and she's freaking out, and I, like, was giving her probabilities about, like, it not happening here and stuff. And that's definitely a thing that, like, was discussed, was, like, they're, you know, evacuating places in Philly just in case, but, like, really, we're not a good target for what's happening. You're talking about 9-11? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, let's move on from 9-11. All right. All right. Again, not fertile comedy ground. Okay. Everybody's kind of getting out of the city, so let's do that as well. Leguizamo says, like, oh, well, we can all go. Is it stay with his mom? Is that what it is? He talked to his mom, so they're going to. So he invites Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel to come with him, his wife, and his daughter. And they're all going to go, I think, stay at his parents' place. Which is like mm-hmm. somewhere outside the city, wherever. And so then they're like all gonna go to the train station. Leguizamo's wife like can't get there, and whatever, whatever, whatever. They go on the train. You know, we keep occasionally cutting to other places and seeing this, you know, same sort of strange behavior. And it's always cool. I think like there's some of the most, and it's not just because they're kills to use the horror movie terminology, but they're enigmatic. It's weird. It's scary because it's so unexplained. Mm-hmm. You know, you just see people like throwing themselves off of a construction site. Like, yeah, it's wild. And that scene plays out kind of like stiffly. I, and, I had a note that I was like, I wonder if that was inspired by Drowning Pool. Oh, boy. No. Drowning <laughs> Pool jokes. In this, the year of our Lord Satan 2020. 
Hey, in 2008, it was current. It was. It was. Yeah. Send that joke back there. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. The train stops in Filbert, uh, which is a town I've never heard of in the state I live in. And uh, No one else has either. They stop in Filbert because the uh, train conductors say that they've lost contact with everybody. So they don't really know what to do at this point. News reports are coming in. People are watching videos on their phones of like things happening in Philadelphia, things happening in surrounding cities and surrounding towns. Um, so everybody, oh, yeah, they say Boston and stuff. Yeah, yeah. larger population areas, but mostly um, along uh, New England. Yeah, somebody says the fucking like thuddingly bad line of dialogue. It looks like it's not happening about ninety miles from here, and then everybody goes like, "Oh, we'll go there." So everybody takes off out of this diner like it's a mad, 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 mad world. They're all hopping in cars that I guess they rented or who the fuck knows? Because like I thought it was like a whole train full of people, but like everybody has a car except for Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I think some of it was just like um people Locals. in the town. Yeah, yeah. I guess it and just seems like other... everybody could get a ride except for Mark Wahlberg and John Leguizamo. Yeah, I mean, maybe other people managed to like uh, fucking musical chairs their way into other people's cars. Yeah, that's what I mean. Know? It just yeah. seemed like it's everybody except for the main character. Whatever. Maybe they had ready money. Um, you don't know. But fun yeah. fact, the guy in the Jeep who uh, gives John Leguizamo a ride mm-hmm. is apparently Brian O'Halloran, uh, Dante from Clerks and Clerks 2. Really? In the Kevin Smith universe. That's what IMDb said. And I was like, oh, because I didn't recognize him. And who would? Because he's just in one shot really far away. And he says, come on, man. Like, that's it. That's his only line of dialogue, really. Or like, we got to go or whatever. But I was like, oh, sweet. Brian O'Halloran. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, he, I know he's a Jersey guy. So, you know, tri-state area. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. New Jersey's like a state. Phil- Philadelphia annex. Yeah. New Jersey's know? legally a state. Hi, everybody in Jersey. A lot of our friends are, you we know. We have some Jersey pre- natives. Yeah, but they've all moved here because they're smart. Um, yeah. So. Like uh, the Nicoles <laughs> from uh, most recently Hubie Halloween. Yep. Hubie yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Hubert Halloween. Yeah. That sounds terrible. It wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, which isn't actually saying a whole lot. No, it's, I, I refer to it as aggressively mediocre. And I think Rob Schneider actually was pretty good. I really like the idea of somebody like tuning into this partway through and thinking that Rob Schneider was in the happening. M. Night Shyamalan was like, Rob Schneider's playing the wind. I was going to say he voices the wind. And then they green screened him out. <laughs> He's like, hey, Mark Wahlberg, making copies, running for your life, relationships on the outs. I'm sure he could phonetically do some German. Rob Schneider? Yeah. (laughs) What are you basing this on? Culturally speaking, what's what's the background there? Oh, Uh, I don't know. Are you looking it up? Let's see if it is. Is Rob Schneider German? Rob Schneider's ancestry is for our entire separate podcast. Yeah. Oh, also at some point we the have to do it. It's called sh- the Schneider Insider. And, uh, <laughs> Gross. Well, but <laughs> listeners, Tina gave me a look through Skype that was perfect. It was like, it's like you're here with us. I hate what you just said. <laughs> we're, we're only going to do two episodes. One is on Rob Schneider and one is on Fred Schneider. And it's going to be great. Rob Schneider. Bum, ba, da, 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 da. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know where we were. Train and Filbert and everybody's got a car. Yeah, they're in Filbert. They uh, they all split off. This looks like it's not happening 90 miles from here. So then they're all like, oh, well, let's go to 90 miles from here. Not like a town. It doesn't matter. It's just so stupid. And then they, they split up. John Leguizamo goes to Princeton to meet his wife because the sh- train she was on was detoured that way or whatever. 
he gives his daughter Jess to Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel and the 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 nice couple that runs a nursery tree nursery yeah uh you know and they're full of conspiracy theories and hot dog opinions and that's very true yeah but phrasing it that way is uh a little uh perfect conspiracy theories and hot dog opinions hi i'm alex jones yeah yeah It's the part I was born to play, baby. But anyway, at some point, Wahlberg realizes that, or he thinks he realizes that what's happening is that the whatever it is, which he no longer thinks is a terrorist attack, he's starting to think might be trees and plants and like some kind of natural defense against human beings, which are the problem, which I think we'll all agree. And that it's attacking smaller and smaller groups. So, you know, the idea is like, okay, well, we'll split up and we'll go a very small group. So it's him Deschanel, the little girl named Jess, and these two nobody characters. Um, they're both played by actors who've been in other stuff. Yeah, the one is Spencer Breslin. Oh, I didn't recognize them. I recognized the couple with the nursery and the car and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Because yeah. the husband was in like, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And a couple of other things where I was like, oh, okay. Can we just talk for a second about how the one boy gets shot once and he's got like 14 bullet holes in his shirt? Oh, buckshot, baby. Yeah, man. It's a shotgun blast. Yeah, baby. It doesn't look like a shotgun blast. It looks like he was shot 14 separate times. That's also uh, one of the cutscenes. is that exact scene played out in its entirety, except they don't cut away when the other kid gets his head blown off. Yeah. So you just see like the back thing, like the size of an ashtray section of his head blow off. Yeah. Ooh. I was like, that's why this is a deleted scene. Like, it's it's Yeah, because you more grotesquely murdered some children. Yeah, because this is... We'll talk about it, but I don't get what M. Night is doing in this movie as an R-rated film because it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel R-rated. No, the the violence is gratuitous in a couple of spots, but most of the movie isn't doing that. Right, and I don't think it's any better or worse than the way he would... I think all yeah. he did was not cut when he would normally cut. Right, and also there's not enough tension. No, no. Which is we weird because he can do that in a lot of other movies and it doesn't happen at all here. Um, Spencer Breslin, uh, I believe is the brother of Abigail Breslin, another child actor. Um, he is famously in Disney's The Kid, starring Bruce Willis. Hmm. Uh, and he plays the, the one of the two oh. boys. I think they're both named like Josh. It doesn't matter. So that's, they get killed on a porch, uh, which is kind of a great scene. I, I liked it. We'll come back. Um, and then... The Wahlberg clan, which is now just him and Zoe Deschanel and the little girl, they end up finding like a little cutoff from all, you know, electricity, like little house in the country with the craziest woman you'd ever want to accidentally, you know, spend time with there. The are you eyeing my lemon drink woman, which is like I as soon as she said it, I was like, oh, Tina. What is he calling her? Mrs. Jones? Mrs. Jones. Yeah. Yeah. That's her name. That's my favorite. Yeah, it's great. Well, that and be scientific douchebag. Scientific douchebag? But yeah, and she's nuts because she's been alone for like ever. Um, So she's very suspicious of them. And then the movie stops making sense because she gets killed by the wind. The wind makes her, I guess, kill herself through headbutts. She basically Nathan explosions herself to death. Nice. Right? Like, that's what it is. It's the very first episode of Metalocalypse where they go into the supermarket and Nathan Explosion is like, oh. The food library. The, the food library. Uh, and, yeah, Nathan Explosion wants meat out of the deli case and he just pushes his face through the glass because it's fucking metal. 
And that's what she does. And then I guess she dies from that. And it's just like, okay, none of it. It's it, it would be creepy if it wasn't so silly the way it's presented. There's something about M. Night's movies as a whole where he does stuff that should work, but he manages to make it not work. It's in almost all of his movies. Almost always. There's something where I'm like, oh, this should work better, but it doesn't because of, I guess, the way it's shot. Like, yeah. it's too clear or too long a take or something about it that, like doesn't let tension build the way it should hey yeah. uh when i say step one what song comes to mind <laughs> anything the fray what oh what's uh, i don't know that give me how to save life how's that go step one she says we need to talk no oh i kind of yeah Ooh. And so the hook wow. is like it's how to save our life right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i kind of know that okay <laughs> Because Allison said, Allison said step one, and, well, I'll tell you, what I thought it was, was that Alkaline Trio song. Step one, slit my throat. Step two, play in my blood. Oh, step okay. three, cover yeah. me in dirty sheets and run yeah. laughing out of the house. Yeah, so that's not what I was singing while I was getting stuff set up. I was singing Dick in a Box. Step oh. one, cut a hole in the box. Step two. You put your junk in that box. Step three, you make her open the box, and that's the way you do it. It's my dick in a box. It's a little peek behind the curtain for how I get the podcast set up. <laughs> the ritual involves singing dick in a box. Yeah, while I'm checking all the things to get all the things enabled. All the things? With the stuff. With the things? Yeah. You know. Yeah. The things? The things in a yeah. box. So, I mean, that's basically, that's the, we, we did the rundown of the movie a bit late, uh, later than usual in the episode, because there's a lot to talk about, despite there not being a lot in this movie. Well, we didn't finish the rundown. Well, we did. I, I the... said, I said, uh, you know, they're at the creepy lady's house, Mrs. Jones. Yeah, she kills herself. And then the movie ends. Okay. She gets killed, yeah. despite only being a single person, and then all logic fails. Yeah. And the movie ends. Yeah. Because despite it targeting a single person, it doesn't target Mark Wahlberg. Well, it, it, I think the idea is that it just ends just as suddenly as it began, which they kind of set up. But like, I don't know. It's really, really unsatisfying. Yeah. And they do lay a lot of track about like, it's an act of nature and we'll never understand it. Uh, what's the handsome kid? Perfect face. Jake. Mark Wahlberg in his first scene is like, how come? Hey, let's talk about the bees. The bees are disappearing. And he's like, let's give me some theories. Like, what could happen? And they're like, uh, global warming. And he's like, yeah, temperature adjusts by like half a degree. They get disoriented, but there are no bodies or, or whatever. Like, but where'd they go? And it's like, if there are no bodies. And obviously it's bee cannibalism. Well, no, it's like pesticides. And they're like, but there are no bodies from the pesticides. A good answer. But like, where are the bodies? What's happening to all the bees? And then uh, a kid who is, I guess, handsome. I mean, to be fair, he's pretty handsome, is uh, just, like, staring straight ahead, not doing anything, and he's, it's weird, and, like, it kind of works in that it feels like he and Mark Wahlberg have a, like, they know each other beyond the bounds of the movie, you know, because he's just like, hey, Jake, you think you're too handsome to answer this question? Which is a fucking wild thing at all to say to anybody. Except that you're like, oh, I guess maybe this, like, there's some pre-existing... Oh, I've had teachers be that level of dick to me. But, like, to open the movie and have your character be like, hey, you think you're too handsome for this? It's like, the kid's not even doing anything that indicates he thinks he's handsome. Well, he's sitting around in, like, a button-up shirt, and I mean, who <laughs> does that in high school? I mean... Only handsome people. Yeah. Yeah, they don't even sell them to us uggos. Well, 
you know, I feel like it's a weird, it's a weird thing for a teacher to say to a kid. It's yeah. really weird. Oh, absolutely. And um, he goes, yeah, but then he goes like, he's like, you should be concerned with science because like your nose and ears are going to grow a fraction of an inch every year. And the kid like, it's it's a good physical performance because he like touches his nose awkwardly like, but he doesn't, he does it like he doesn't want anyone to know he's touching his nose because Mark Wahlberg said that. Yeah. It's good. It's like hesitant. And then Jake gives a surprisingly adept answer because he's like, it's an act of nature and we'll never really understand it. And he's like, good answer, Jake. And and that's the through line for the whole movie. That is that is within 10 minutes of the beginning of this movie, M. Night being like, who knows? Am I right, everybody? Like, you don't have to put all this on me. Like, I don't have to explain it because maybe we just don't know. Yeah, but you tackled a movie about ghosts with its own, like, internal logic for how it's working. So... Well, I have several problems. one of them being that you know we talked a little bit about how m night kind of sets us up for like a a disappointing ending here we don't really get any resolution to this no the other issue i have with this and it's minuscule on the scale of issues that i have this movie is i feel like all of their answers as to why the bees are disappearing are all the weird ones like nobody said like the bees stopped mating or like there's an animal that now eats bees. Like, nobody came up with those possibilities. No, I bet those are all, like, cutting room floor. Like, he was probably like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People would give the normal answers and then, I don't know. Or maybe we're supposed to believe this is just, like, a really, really, like, with it science class. Like, they're really tuned in to, it's because it's, it's a shorthand. Like, this is, like Allison mentioned, this is, like, an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes, whatever. Like, yeah. he keeps, he said a thing I don't remember what movie specifically it was in reference to, but, like, someone asked him, like, hey, don't you think, like, if there were 10 or 20 more minutes of this movie, like, you could have made a better movie out of it? And he said something like, I'll make a two-hour movie when I've earned a two-hour movie or something, which is a really weird thing to say. Mm. Shove it up your ass. That is, like, the most pretentious bullshit. I, and I, I, like, I have deep, deep affinity for M. Night Shyamalan as a Philadelphia filmmaker because he's so adamant that everything be filmed in Philly, even when it makes no sense and probably hurts the production, like the Avatar movie. Oh, did he do that? At the Airbender? In Philly? Yeah. I didn't know that. They did some, I like... I didn't see any of that at all. They did yeah. some shooting, like, somewhere else, like, uh, Greenland or something, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. And, but then... Like, a whole bunch of it was shot, because it was all going to be green screen anyway because of budget. They just shot it in Philly in, like, an old school or whatever. They put up green screens and shot the rest of it. And it, like, it's not a good movie. And, like, I love that show. And I love Philadelphia. And I always want to like M. Night movies because he's so staunchly pro-Philly. Like, yeah. His whole thing seems to be, like, you can film almost any movie in and around Philadelphia like why why are we not a bigger player on the world film like market? Yeah, that seems to be his whole thing. And for that, I'm always like, we could hang, we yeah. can hang and talk about movies. But then he makes these weird movies, and I'm just like, what are you doing? He seems yeah. to have all the confidence in the world in himself, and then at the same time, no confidence, which weirdly is very Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though, is like when he's good, he's like, because I genuinely like the yeah, six. Yeah, when the Eagles the, win. I know. It's a very, uh, he has a very yeah. Philadelphia film uh Donovan uh, McNabb deserved a ring, man. That's all I have to say with that. Uh, that's for our side podcast. Okay. It's called Spurts. <laughs> oh, God. Are you talking about the Eagles? Talk about the Eagles and other <laughs> spurts. Mm-hmm. Other Philadelphia spurts. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, it's me and my co-host, Danny Dijewski. 
you know, how do we get to the podcast every day? Oh, and my bitch and Camaro. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like home. That's right. Yo. Hey. Hey, yo, buddy. Yo, buddy. I've been employing yo, buddy at work because, you know, we make everybody wear masks when they shop. And I've been really leaning into the Philadelphia. So, like, if somebody takes their mask off, I give them a real, real deep South Philly. Yo, buddy. <laughs> that, back over to Benny Frank. They fucking, you would not believe, I could be like, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. Sir. Excuse me. And they don't fucking, but one like, yo, buddy. And they're like, ugh. And they're like. <laughs> you got to speak their language. I know. Oh, man. Got to get in there. I'm in fucking guerrilla journalism. That's exactly mm. what it is. Yeah, then I gotta become one of them. You gotta dress like a gorilla. I know it's different, but it's the same. It's not. <laughs> it's not the same. I dress like a gorilla anyway. I buy all my shirts in gorilla size. What size is gorilla size? I've maxed out at silverback, but I'm working on you know gibbon. Gibbons are smaller. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to lose some weight. Yeah. Trying to get fit. Just trying to slim down. You know how small a gibbon is? You'd be like yeah, that's my ideal weight. It's the thin white duke. It's gibbon sized. You know, there's a diet for that. Yeah, his was milk and peppers. <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> I forgot about the peppers. It's milk, bell peppers, cocaine, and black magic. And like, I already like all those things. I guess. Imagine, imagine the acid reflux. The, also, the milk will help with that. I've never done cocaine, but if it'll help me get in shape. <laughs> well, uh, people and then don't. I get to talk like this all the time. Yeah. Welcome to another Hate Watch Great Watch. Oh, yeah. Can we do that as like the intro to every episode I'm ever on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bowie. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi. It's oh, all happening. Starting to figure this out at least a little bit. I just can't. It's um, all happening. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's Soundflower. Yeah, is... we're having some minor technical issues. Allison looked at it and was like, be scientific, douchebag. <laughs> ah, um, so yeah, I don't know. Is there anything you want to talk about from the, you know, beginning of the movie? It is Soundflower that I'm having the problem with. Oh, so maybe the Soundflowers are tired of us. Oh God, this movie is exhausting. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's so much expository dialogue in this movie that just seems like it's telling you the same thing again. But I also think he's trying to work in the concept that like, maybe this isn't exactly what you think it is. You know, like, cause everybody's always throwing out these other theories. Like they're like, I think it's the government. I think it's this, I think it's that, you know? And I, I just like, but it just seems to be exactly what Mark Wahlberg thinks. Like yeah. I'm really dialed in, bro. He's not, he doesn't have any of it. Right. We don't actually know that he was ever right about anything. No. And I kind of yeah. like that as an idea, but like at the same time, the movie does seem to support that he's right. Only in as much as they have everybody always looking to him for answers and it's completely undeserved. Oh yeah. He's a total stranger who at never, at no point does he ever say like, well, I'm a science teacher. So like I'm the expert here. And it's not and like he ever does like, anything. That's like really, really big. No, except the nursery couple. I call him Mr. Hot dog and his wife. Yeah. At one point he says to Zoe Deschanel, he's like, Elliot's really like, Oh, he's really resilient. Like he never gives up. And she goes, yeah, he never gives up. Oh, you get it. Cause they're talking about, the situation and also their relationship like he hasn't given up on them and i'm like i 
don't care. I don't care. Also, it's still a telling and not showing, which is. is all it is throughout this movie with him is all these people just being like, oh, yeah, tell us what to do. And it's like, what has he done to make you think that he's the guy for this? No, no, but he's not like at no point. It's it's not like everybody turns to him for no reason and goes, tell us what to do. And then he does. And it's right. He always goes like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe man. it's this thing. And then like some of them happen to get lucky. It's, it's diminishing returns. Like, you know, half the people don't listen to him. They die. Then, like, it's another group, and then that gets halved, and half of them die. And, like, it just keeps kind of dividing and dividing and dividing until it's the three of them and Spencer Breslin and that other guy, and they get murdered on a porch, which is hilarious. If he's doing the telling and not showing, if that was the goal all along, right? And we kind of joked about, like, if it's a B movie, that's the cheapest route to go, is to be afraid of the thing you can't see. That's very, like, Hitchcockian. Very Steven Spielberg a la Jaws. It's very ingrained in thriller and horror movies that are classics that are really well done. So I'd argue that it's a lot harder to do the tell and not show. It seems like with this, it should be scarier. The whole concept should be terrifying. It just isn't. So this is like two discrete points that you're actually sort of putting together. There's the movie thing of show don't tell of like character development of like, these two people are in love or having a weird time or whatever. whatever. Don't, and, don't just tell us right. he's like, but, don't be like, right. oh, he's a great right. driver. Show him driving. Right. Well. Like, but then there's, you know, the unseen, which is a different thing like Jaws or Seven, where sure. you're putting the thought in people's minds. You're just seeing how the characters are reacting yeah. to this thing that is never envisioned on screen. I've watched Seven so many times and I can't even tell you, like, I've never once seen the shark in seven (laughs) can we petition hollywood to re-release seven but we replace kevin spacey with a cartoon shark (laughs) could it just be a real shark well i think that's more expensive i think like a cg like animatronic like type shark where it's like detective and it's but it's a shark it's a couple of years ago could be left shark could be left shark I think on previous episodes, we have espoused that we're pretty much like low-key fans of Left Shark. So, Left Shark, if you ever want to be on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Give us a call. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> like, we would love to have you on and we can watch a movie. Uh, your it choice. It can be shark or non. Can you just imagine Seven, but like in the in the police precinct scene when like he's the bottom of the stairs. He's like, detectives. It's like Jabberjaw. <laughs> <laughs> Let's set up a good, uh, good. Let me start over. We need to start a good, uh, a GoFundMe. Jesus Christ. We can uh, raise enough money to recreate the happening, but with puppets. Boy, I feel like that would take no money at all, but sure. Oh, no, because we can make it better. <laughs> the half puppeting? Yeah, half puppeting. Half puppeting. Yeah. See, it's good. <laughs> it's called the Muppetning. Oh. The Muppetning. Two two things I'd like to point out. One, who lets everybody leave during an airborne toxic event? Who decided that they were just going to let all these kids loose? Because I know from going to school in Philly that we have fallout shelters in the bottom of our schools. It's true. We, we do. So um, I think the justification is that they at first they think it's some kind of terrorist attack. Yeah. And they're like, all right, everybody go home yep. uh, because we don't know what it is yet. 
but it's better or where every- it's going to happen. Right, but, yeah. it, but it's better if everybody's with their families, whatever, whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. By the time they start to figure out that it's airborne in nature, they're like already, I think in Filbert, like they're already off the trains and shit. Yeah. No, I think they say that they believe it's an airborne terrorist attack. Oh, wait. In the, in the school. In the school? Uh, I just want to point out that the principal, by the way, is Alan Ruck from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and a million other things. This is, like, applicable to current events, but once we decided it was airborne, nobody thought about covering their fucking faces. No, I know. Uh, You do see the two women with the gas masks knitting. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, the film is cutting these people all watching the same news broadcast, but one of it is two ladies in, like, gas masks, like, World War Two, like gas masks, oh, I knitting this. and watching a movie yeah, or too. watching the news, and then it also cuts again to like a couple of guys um, working on like bikes in a garage with a bunch of like guns and shit, like looking oh, like doomsday preppers. Yeah, that I kind of remember. Yeah. yeah. So you know, we've met Mark Wahlberg. We've learned about his relationship troubles. Whatever. We've gone on the train. It was all stupid. I I do like the train stopping randomly. They don't know why. They don't know, like, where they are. They're like, Mark Wahlberg is straight up like, where's Filbert? Like, I don't even know where this is. So in most films, especially films with, like, a weird conceit of some kind, there's always a character who has to be the audience surrogate. Yeah, he's the everyman. He's the one asking the questions that are already in your head. Mark Wahlberg does that in this the yeah. whole time. He's just like say, Law and Order. It's uh, Ice T. Well, he's doing the analogies, but it's always like breaking it down so that you can understand. Well, that's different, kind of. Okay. He's not being the audience surrogate. Right. He is like spoon feeding it to the audience. Sure. Okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Finn Tutuola. Yeah. Uh, is always like. So wait <laughs> oh, a second. Oh, like you watch. <laughs> I've watched enough to okay. appreciate the right. oeuvre of Ice T. Okay. Uh, and he always goes, so you mean to tell me people smoke drugs to get high and they like it? It's always like the most nonsense fucking where it's like, yeah, obviously. Like, yes, everyone knows this. John Mulaney does basically the bit I've just done. Uh-huh. And it's better because he's funnier than me. I understand. I understand my failings. I'm not John Mulaney and I never claim like, to be. Of course. That's entirely what the French Revolution was based on. That's my favorite line from Law and Order. <laughs> that's entirely what the French Revolution was based yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't that Chris Maloney? He says uh-huh. that. He's he's got such gravitas. Um, <laughs> I do love him a lot. Okay, so the happening pacing wise, where M Night puts the exposition scenes is good. The first scene is setting up because he's talking about the bees, and like it ends with the it's a act of nature we'll never fully understand, which is good because that is kind of the end thesis of the movie. Like, if you're expecting the movie to get to the end and tell you exactly why this happened, it's not going to happen. It's an act of nature we'll never fully understand. We introduce and establish exponential growth. When Jack Leguizamo's in the Jeep with the woman who's freaking out and stuff like that, and he's like, okay, if I gave you a penny today and two pennies tomorrow and we doubled until the end of the month, how much money would you have? And she's like, you know... Ten dollars. Yeah, like, she, she no, she's more. guessing like stupid yeah, amounts. Yeah, like, twenty dollars, thirty dollars, and he's like, "You would have ten million dollars." Yeah. At the end of the wow, movie, we're yeah. we're going from big to small. Where we're saying there's it's impacting large groups into smaller groups. So we right, go from this like is that in reverse. Yes. Yeah. And so that's really smart. All right. So, introduction and usage of a concept that's kind of, you know, that's a, good. a lot. That's actually a really good point I hadn't yeah. thought about. Yeah. So, okay, there's no explanation. There's no concrete explanation in this movie. But if you are to believe, like, the common consensus 
of the movie, it is that humans are a blight upon the earth. I think we can all agree on that. Am I right? So, like, okay, Birdemic, yes. Birdemic has the same overall point as this movie. I don't remember Birdemic because I got exquisitely drunk. She did. Birdemic is not a good movie. I mentioned The Room earlier. Like The Room, it really thinks it's saying something. With capital S, it's saying something. It's trying to teach the audience that, like, whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's an environmental message that, like, we're the problem. And if nature decided we were worth wiping out, we wouldn't be able to stop it. Which is, like, debatable, but not arguable. Yeah, but Vanilla Ice already offered to solve the problem. You got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Right, so we skipped over uh, 30th Street Station we saw again, which we had also talked about in Blowout. Or our, oh, that's true, pod, yeah, yeah, when they're waiting for the... with uh, Gabby. Gabby. Hi, Gabby. Hi. Um, yeah, they're waiting for the, the train, and this is when we get the uh, info dump mostly about Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel's relationship, and... Yeah, which, I mean, like, if you watch the uh, other... Um, with the deleted scene yeah the deleted scene no one watched the deleted scene hey if you're a listener and you voluntarily watched the deleted scene aside from us talking about it please write in it means that you own the dvd of the happening because you can't find that shit on netflix or wherever oh not on netflix but it might be on youtube i don't know but oh point is you have to search it out um yeah if you voluntarily were like i wonder if there's any deleted scenes please write us and tell us why why the happening is your favorite movie um yeah (laughs) and what led you you down this path why are you a fool Why are you a windy fool? <laughs> uh, I feel like a windy fool should be in your arsenal for <laughs> just insults. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it sounds it's like I'm challenging someone to a duel. I like it. Yeah, all right. Oh, like a windbag. He has a windy fool, Your Honor, and I challenge him to a punch up on the White House lawn. Okay, we should talk about the deleted scene in a little bit of detail. It is awful. The shot at the end of the movie of, like, their little quiet street that they live on, which is, like, tree-lined and nice and whatever. And it's that same shot. So, for a second, I thought this was, like, an end-of-the-movie scene that had been cut. And then as it played out, I was like, oh, this is the beginning. It's bookends, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Zoe Deschanel throws something at the door because she's upset. And then they talk really really awkwardly and stiltedly about like how their relationship is not good and she whatever. doesn't want to have kids she doesn't and... want to have kids and he's not ready for kids which they do allude to when yeah she, she... has this whole thing about like oh you work so well with kids because you're a child which i'm right. like we also don't get a lot of that well we we get a little bit of it when he and the two dead kids uh spencer breslin and the other kid i think they're both named josh again the two joshes when they're like, walking through the field or whatever. For some reason, these two fucking kids just start questioning Mark Wahlberg about his relationship status. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. And they're like, do you not have kids? And he's like, no. And they're like, why not? And he's like, because, like, I haven't really grown up. Hey, why are we talking about this? It's so stupid and, like, yeah. again, so much dialogue in this hits with a thud. It is so bad. Yeah, so it's that. It's that he's a kid. He's not an adult. Therefore, they can't have kids. But, like, they have bigger problems than not finding a reason to have children again they have no chemistry a thing that really was problematic for me was when they get off at filbert and they are in that diner they have the whole scene with you know mark Wahlberg talking to jess the little girl yeah yeah he gives her the mood ring he's like yeah. oh it's yellow it means you're about to laugh and we're talking about mood rings yeah. and blah 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 and then a woman leans over and is like oh my god look at this which also like her line read kind of sucks but also 
Have you ever been anywhere where somebody that you don't know that is just it's a stranger? Different. Yeah, I guess, but is like, They're hey, all already part of a shared experience. Bare bones. They were all on a train that stopped randomly and they all had to depart. So is there anything we want to talk about before the finale? You said that the kids getting shot was good. And I think that that was not good. <laughs> oh, I think it was a great scene. No, I think that was badly shot. Okay. It, so, it is too up close in Mark Wahlberg's face. I don't think that he's doing well with that. And I think it's like cringy. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Okay. So, yeah, it's that they're trying to get into a house. Everybody's hungry. Yeah, so it's Zoe and Mark and the kid. And then two other kids that they've been traveling with. Their names are Josh and Jared. Josh is played by Spencer Breslin. And Jared is played by Robert Bailey Jr., who he's the voice of YB in Coraline. Interesting. Yeah. YB. The kids get shot. It's stupid. It, I think it's shocking for shocking sake. It's supposed to be shocking to see these kids get shot. But I like that, like... We never see the quote-unquote villains. Oh, like, yeah, that's cool. It's a bunch of terrified humans inside a house. They've, like, largely boarded up. Everybody's hungry. The kids are like, oh, there's somebody inside. And so then Mark Wahlberg is, like, yelling into somebody else who's responding, being yeah, like, he's... hey, we're they're, they're just, all... we're all fine. We're just trying to wait, get wait, some wait. food. Yeah. He, Mark Wahlberg looks in. He's like, yeah, I see somebody, too. And he's like... Hey, excuse me, sir. Like, we're okay out here. We just want some food. We have a we have a young girl with us, and, and she's hungry. We just want to get some food for her. Mark Wahlberg's No, We're All Okay Out Here is to sing, Oh, Blackwater, keep on rolling, Mississippi. Yeah. Keep on shining on me. I still don't know what that's about. What is that? Oh, if you sing, you're not possessed so by the weird. plant spores. Dude, that's so weird, plants though. plants don't know how to make music. They only know how to listen to it. Okay, so my question is, do you think that is in the script? <laughs> no, I think or he do you ad-libbed think... it. And it's right. weird, but no, no, no. it kind of works. If you're M. Night Shyamalan and you're like, hey, so Elliot's supposed to sing just like sing a song, what song do you think Mark Wahlberg would sing naturally? Good vibration. <laughs> <laughs> In drama class in high school, we had to just sing okay. as like a like warm up exercise. In Masterman, in where like the first like where they filmed it, yeah. scene was, yeah, yeah. And I sung the letter, the give box me, top song. Give me a ticket for an aeroplane. aeroplane. Ain't got time to take, take a fast, fast train. Fast train. Yeah. It's a good song. Yeah. The box so, tops are great. Alex yeah. Chilton is the yeah. best. Let's wrap up the happening. So the end of the movie, um, they find Mrs. Jones, yeah. who is completely cut off from electricity. She doesn't have a radio. She doesn't have a TV. She got nothing. She's self-sufficient. She grows her own vegetables, even though they're not great, but she grows them. Yeah, she, she, like, she doesn't have good plant energy. No, yeah. She says, like, I never had the touch. They're like, cool, can we stay here? She's like, yeah, I guess. But she is also extremely paranoid because either as a result of or as a reasoning for her entire, you know, solitude from society. Either being alone for this long has made her this crazy or she was this crazy, so that's why she has to live alone. Uh, Zoe Deschanel and Wahlberg are like, what should we do? Oh, I don't know. Like, we have to try to stay here. This is the only safe place. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we can't and be she, in too big groups. Right, you know, and she pops out, blah, in blah. and she's like, you're whispering about me. You're going to kill me. You're going to take my stuff and whatever. Wahlberg never reacts like a normal person would to be like, oh, hey, let me talk to you. Yeah, or no, it cuts to him very like close on his face. And he's like, no, what? But it's 
not a convincing line read, so no. it makes him sound sarcastic. And the next day, he goes to, like, look for her to talk to her, and he walks in, and there's, like, a doll in bed. But he walks, like, way too close to be like, oh, it's just a doll. And she appears behind him like, you're going to steal my stuff. He's like, what? She, like, gets mad and goes outside, I guess. And then the evil heathen wind uh, strikes her. And she goes crazy, and she starts, like, banging her head against the windows and breaking windows with her face like Nathan Explosion, as I alluded to. Yeah. And I guess she dies. I don't remember what specifically, but, we like... We don't actually see it, but, yeah. Mark Wahlberg thinks he hears Zoe Deschanel Yeah, Zoe Jess. Deschanel has taken the girl, Jess, to the, like... There's, like, a pump house or it's a barn yeah but there's a it's where they used to hide people on the underground railroad yeah it's like an underground railroad thing yeah yeah right so they could hide out there and they could hear when you know whatever there's a there's a uh speaking tube there's a speaking tube that goes from one room to the fucking pump house or whatever Deschanel and jess are out there and Wahlberg is in the main house and he thinks he hears them but really it's through right. the tube into that room so he sees mrs jones like go crazy and then she kills herself and then he's like stay in there close the windows close the doors whatever it's going crazy and then they have this like hey let's talk about our whole relationship they talk about the the mood ring which has come up a couple of times but not really like that's the thing is this whole movie feels like an afterthought everything in this movie feels like an afterthought i know it's that it's that level of forced symbolism that i feel like happens sometimes yeah and and like i I, again i generally like m night Shyamalan. you know i want to like him like a local boy yeah, local yeah. boy. Um, he likes delving into like some sort of like sci-fi or like weirder, like genre-esque stuff. But yeah. you know, he has his own flair. It's just that it doesn't always work a hundred percent of the time. Having said that, after this, he made the visit, which I think is a really effective Ooh, movie. Did I see that? You did. Old people, and they're creepy, and it's good for like a you know medium budget like horror movie. Like I think. Okay. I think M. Night has great instincts, and I think sometimes his reach outseeds his grasp. Mm-hmm. His craft isn't where it needs to be to reach his goals. I definitely can point out movies um, that he's done that I am a big fan of. And I mean, like, a lot of it's the big ones, like Sixth Sense. I also really legitimately love Split. I don't have much I would change about it. Yeah, no, I think Split is, like, really fucking solid. Yeah. And I actually really liked uh, the, you know, the third part of that glass yeah glass i i really like that i don't think it's perfect i think it's kind of a stumble as far as like the whole as a quote-unquote trilogy like that's the thing is like we have to pretend like this was his fucking goal the whole time but like Mm -hmm. you don't make unbreakable when you did and then wait this long to make the second part and pretend like that's your goal. Yeah, like, also, honestly, I really enjoyed Unbreakable. I think it's slower than some of his other, what I consider most successful movies. I didn't mind the pacing. I thought it was fine being a very slow burn because it's somebody, it's kind of almost a character study in his realization that this kind of stuff is real and that he is part of it. And that, I think, is cool. Like, nobody does that. We could talk about M. Night Shyamalan till 4 o'clock in the morning. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know. Tina's very hungry and very I'm tired. Starving. This has been a long <laughs> record because of technical problems. Um, is there anything we want to talk about about the movie before we wrap up? No, I think I, I got a lot of my notes out. Yeah, I feel pretty good. Let's see. Speaking to... I like the, uh, you know, they're having their speaking tube conversation from the 
you know, boathouse to the main house, whatever. And, and they're talking about the, remember the moon ring you, you bought for me, whatever. He's like, yeah, I got you to talk. And they're in Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg. It's both of their most emotive scenes in the whole movie. I, I think it gets a little heavy handed in a way that's cute. Um, when, you know, they're talking about like, oh, it turned like whatever turned purple. And I thought that meant you were love, but it just meant you were horny. She's like, yeah, what color is love? And he's like, I don't remember. And I feel like that's very symbolic in a way that makes me want to puke. <laughs> it's so lame, dude. It, it really it's is. So it's, and like, I want to, I want to give a shit because I just it's spent an hour and a so half with these people. And I like Mark Wahlberg. Well, also, I feel like this sort of scene came too late. I feel like you want that in your second act because yeah. I feel like we want to establish stakes. Yeah. Well, then given more of a shit about whether or not they lived or died, which yeah. we didn't. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, so to have it right before your fucking climax, I feel like was not good enough. We right. had to lay some of that track earlier and just having her pet him on a train didn't do it. Right. So they, they decide like, well, if we're going to die, I want to die with you. So they both open the doors of their respective places and they leave and they walk to each other and nothing happens. The whole movie, periodically, we've gotten like text on screen of like the location and time. It's like Central Park, New York, whatever. Three blocks from Central Park, New York, whatever. Rittenhouse Square. Rittenhouse Square, whatever. Which I want to point out, somebody in the movie refers to it as Rittenhouse Square Park. And I was like, no, you're either getting Rittenhouse Square or just Rittenhouse. Nobody in Philadelphia is referring to Princeton as the town of Princeton. The town of Princeton. Never happened. Yeah, no, it's Princeton. Somebody's like, what, in Jersey? Yeah, no. Every, every, you also all don't the, say New Jersey. Almost all the dialogue in this is, like, clunky. But uh, the idea that, like, like I mentioned earlier, like, the red tide, it just happens, and then it disappears without any kind of real reasoning or trace. Like, it's just all of a sudden, yeah. it's just done. And they, they set that up, and then... They reaffirm it after this. With, right, like, so Wahlberg, Wahlberg and Deschanel leave you know, their respective places and they go and they hold hands and nothing happens. The thing comes up and it says like outside of wherever the fuck Pennsylvania at this time, you know, we'd gotten a news report that said like, it's going to be at its peak at like 9am. And this was like 9:30am. So the idea is that it peaked. It was its most sensitive. Therefore it could target its smallest, most individual groups at nine, which is about when Mrs. Jones went crazy and Nathan explosioned herself into the afterlife by the time Mark and Zoe Deschanel decided to just hold hands in a field and die together. It had given up and that's kind of it. Yeah. We get like a postscript and they're living on their nice little pine street house and Jess is living with them and whatever. And she's she, got no parents. Yeah. She got no parents. Cause John Leguizamo died. Again, it doesn't really make and sense. So did, so did uh, his wife, her mom. Um, I, I mentioned this while we were watching it. Like the reason she doesn't meet them at the train station is because she's across town trying to buy a dollhouse for Jess's birthday. And I turned to Allison. I was like, hey, listen, if there's like a possible terrorist attack, I'm not getting you a dollhouse. <laughs> like, well, the other thing is, is like John Leguizamo decides he's going to go with these people to find her, which doesn't make any sense because he, basically knows that he's making an orphan of his child right it's pretty clear she's not alive or she's not going to be alive much longer so to go there is suicide mark and zoe are now raising jess and she's starting school it's the first day that the schools are back open it's three months later whatever and and whatever and who gives a shit and like 
there was no real inciting incident and it just sort of stopped randomly. So we don't really care. And then it cuts to France and the same shit is happening in France. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. There's a whole TV thing of like, oh yeah, you know, you say it's nature and stuff and that it might be a warning and I'd believe it if we saw it again. And so then, yeah. Right. Then we cut to France to show that it's happening somewhere else. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, whatever. Like, but does that make any sense? I think just purely functionally as like this movie as a visual medium, um, Central Park is very iconic as a park. And yeah, yeah. a lot of the parks in France are very iconic. So I feel like it's just, the, it's someplace very recognizable and open. It could very well just be that that's where he was flying during filming. He's like, I gotta be in France, so let's film the last scene there. I feel like that as a final scene is cool in and of itself, but not after the movie we've seen. Like there's nothing in the movie that makes the idea that it would happen anywhere else surprising. Yeah. Therefore, it's not a surprise when it happens. It's just like, okay, it's just 30 more seconds before I can go to the credits and the movie can be over. Yeah. And it doesn't make for a very satisfying ending and it might even be more impactful if left more open-ended. Yeah, it doesn't feel like anything because there's no real shape given to the threat in the movie. Yeah. And, you know, actually, it might it might even be more impactful if you have the one guy just repeating about the bike, but then you don't have any screaming or anything. Yeah, it's the two guys in France and stuff like that. And the one guy keeps repeating like, oh, I need to pick up my bike before I go to work. Oh, I need to pick up my bike before oh, I go yeah, to work. Yeah, okay, it's the what, what page was I on? What page yeah, yeah, was yeah. I on? Um, and I think it's almost uh, more of like a twist or whatever if you don't have any concrete belief that this is happening again, but it's just two guys in a park and one guy's There's also a thing doing that, repetition. that I kind of like in the France scene where the friend he's talking to yeah. seems unaffected. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's reminiscent of the very first scene. Right, yeah. but like I like the idea that like... Just like, okay, if we're working on the concept that plants, the earth, the planet might Mm -hmm. develop these natural, like, antibodies for humanity, like the spore that makes us kill ourselves, that therefore there would be people who were immune to it through that same. Right. And I like that as a concept. And that could be, that would be something that could be cool to explore in the film previously up to this point. Certainly. Yeah, like, it gives it more depth. Right, and that would actually give, if if Wahlberg posited that theory, like, I don't seem to be affected by it, bro. It would kind of give it a shape. I, I'm not necessarily saying it would make it a better movie, but it would be, it would feel cohesive more than this. Yeah, I don't know if I like that better. Though. I don't know if I like it better, but I definitely don't like it worse. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a good movie. Yeah. I just feel like that sort of dynamic is um, more fun as an aftermath kind of thing, like the survivors of a thing. Like Omega Man or like you're walking dead or whatever. Whereas like watching somebody immune during a thing is less fun just because it ruins your stakes a little bit. Yeah. But I anyway. Mean, that's, that's, a, that's a fair argument. Yeah. So that's getting into a whole other thing. Um, See, that's it. Like whenever anybody tells me like this thing that I always I hear it as like because I want to be a writer. Yeah, like sure. As a challenge. Yeah. Where it's like. Can you make oh, can you make a thing this where they're immune but it doesn't ruin the state? Right, right. Can you make it a thing where they're immune but yeah. you're still involved? Yeah, you can. It's a Superman movie where they then care about other people who are affected. No, I think it's a movie where there is like like the stand. I'm gonna kill you both. I'm so I know. hungry. Tina is so mad at us for I love you, I'm sorry. This is like five hours now of the happening. I'm sorry. Alright, you know what? You're right. You're right. Let's all get a sandwich. 
Let's vote. Is this a hate watch or a great watch, Tina? I hated it. She hand wrote that on paper. Yeah. Which means the trees are going to be super mad at her. Oh, yeah. It's fine. I'm ready to die. You defiled their dead relatives. Like, the hanger is so real. Hunter, was this a hate watch or a great watch? This is not a good movie, and I cannot recommend it in, like, really any way, shape, or form. This is a hate watch. It's just not good. Yeah. It's not anything. I, I agree that it's a hate watch. Just, it doesn't do it for me. And again, we've said multiple times in this thing, like, there are... Uh, M. Night Shyamalan movies that I really like. I feel like when he wants to, he has a good command of tension. The Sixth Sense has a lot of rewatch value, not just because of the twist, but also because it's very gorgeously shot. So, yeah. Hi. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, like Hunter has been mentioning throughout the podcast, you can email us at writehwgw, that's W-R-I-T-E-H-W-G-W at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at podcast. You can find us wherever you get podcasts, but most specifically at moviejohn.com every other Wednesday. That's every, every other, other Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, uh, Tina, do you have anything that you would like to direct people to? Not at all. I'm not going to direct you to watch The Happening because that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, okay, so this is a three-way hate watch, so we usually recommend other things as opposed to watching this Uh Tina, do you have like a suggestion for something you would rather recommend people watch than this? If you want to watch a horror movie where nature attacks people, watch The Birds. See, I was going to say Twister. Okay, and I was going to say, yeah. um, what would I say? Birdemic. Thank you for listening. Um, hopefully this finds you all well and in a better spot than when we recorded yeah this will drop uh like early in 2021 so god damn i hope things are cool yeah things aren't gonna be perfect but like i hope things are looking up mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know we love you hey watch great watch loves you uh thanks for listening bye 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 bye, bye. I've been making limoncellos. It's been great. Well, that sounds good. Specifically for Halloween, I made a tequila with lemon peel and black peppercorns. It is delicious. All you do is put a maraschino cherry in there and some club soda and you're good to go. It was. uh, Yeah, we had one of those on Halloween um, and uh, Malort. Yeah. uh, Are you aware of Malort as a thing? I saw the Malort video and I made a joke. But I don't know if Crystal got it. I don't know. I didn't know what Malort was. She said, I drank terrible liquor. And I said, what was it? And she said, Malort. And I said, oh, Malort. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my joke is uh, I was calling it my dark Lort. Yeah. And I was like, that's uh, Medea worshiping Satan. Oh, my dark Lort. <laughs> we all drank the Malort. And it starts out just like alcohol. But then as it sits in your mouth, it gets a distinct rubber taste. Okay. My... My take on Malort, I took a shot for, I don't know, a third of a second. It tastes like, remember 99? Remember like 90, uh-huh. 99 apples or whatever? If it was just called like 99 uh, yeah. vague citrus, right? 
it's just like that burning and a vague citrus note to it. And you're like, okay, this is bad. But 99 like, Fresca. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is bad, but it's not like, whatever. You know, it's not like the worst thing ever. And then it starts to get worse. And then it gets worse. And after about three whole seconds, it tastes like bile. Yeah. It tastes like, and that's what Crystal was like, oh, it's it tastes like bile. And I was like, oh, you're 100% right. It tastes like I just threw up. Yeah. Um, it's the oh. worst thing. And I also don't believe anyone actually likes it. I think people drink it as a show of strength, but I don't think they actually oh. enjoy it. So, I mean, like, I like a lot of things that are an acquired taste. Uh, like me. Stop. But no, I like aggressive beers. Uh, I like very spicy, like gingery things. I like anise flavored liqueurs, which are unpopular. It's because they're anise flavored. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. This is a great idea. Hey, this tastes like a fucking burning tire fire. We should drink it all the time. 